Hey everyone, welcome back to the Elevated Project Podcast. I'm Mike Costelli. This will be episode number 12. Today we get to interview IFBB Pro John Jewett. He is a registered dietitian. He has his Master's of Science and Nutrition. He has his Bachelor's of Kinesiology. He is a well-known coach and professional bodybuilder. Today we get to talk to John about his career path, the pros and cons of self-coaching, and everything bodybuilding. I hope you guys enjoy this interview. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm. And picked a show that was a year, uh, year out and just took the time to train for it. And it was, uh, we only had one show here in San Antonio at the time. It was the Lackland Classic. They've been doing it since the 80s. Right. So that was the show to do for your, your first show. And that was my, my plan, train for the, the Lackland. And I, I did that show and I, I did well. I coached myself to it and I won the middleweight class and the open and the novice and i was real close to the overall i won i won the novice overall so i'm like wow actually i might have a little bit of a chance at this bodybuilding thing Okay, everybody, welcome back to the Elevated Project Podcast. Today, we have a special guest. We have John Jewett from Texas. Where are you in Texas right now? San Antonio, Texas. San Antonio, Texas. Yeah, I bet you there's no snow there right now. <laughs> no, it's a rare occurrence that they're ever <laughs> Cool, right on. Well, we're, we're happy to have you on the show. Um, we're going to get into a whole bunch of questions, but I think right off the bat, I think Jamie, you wanted to get into just talking, get John to talk about his history, how he all came about, who he is, what he does. Yeah, we just just want to like if you want to throw out your your background because I'm sure it's quite interesting. Yeah, so I've always growing up, it was played an array of sports, um, kind of like you do when you're younger. So from soccer, uh, track, basketball. Uh, did a little bit of football, baseball, kind of, kind of everything. Not really knowing like where, where I really excelled at um, until I got into high school and I started lifting, and I realized quickly like, hey, I'm stronger than everyone else on our high school team except like one guy that was like a lineman. Um, fair enough, he outweighed me by like twice my body weight, and so then I, I came across a school that actually had powerlifting in it, a high school. I thought, this is perfect. There's like a sport, if you want to call it, where you can compete in strength. Like, that's what I'm good at. And so uh, I, I jumped in and found some guys at a local gym that were power, powerlifting. They were all like 40 years old. They already had like world records. And this one guy was benching like 600 pounds. His name was Ed Wilkinson, which I'd never seen guys this strong. It was mind blowing. It's like, you know, you're in your own little bubble of like high school or even like at the local gym, you see guys that are strong, but this was a whole nother level that I got opened up to. So that jumped me forward as far as thought process of what I really needed to, to do and pushed me like being surrounded by guys that were very competitive and knew what they were doing. Um, so I powerlifted throughout high school and did well in it. I, I, these guys were like bench press specialists only. So I don't know if you would call us even a powerlifter. Powerlifters and bench specialists kind of like, oh, yeah, they're not powerlifters because they don't squat. Um, but I did a lot of bench meets and 
set some world records in that and then got into to college. Um, and they had a powerlifting team there. I was actually started that at, at a university here in San Antonio and started doing full meets. And within all that, I was always interested in exercise science and just trying to, everything was going back to what I love to do and, and powerlift and get stronger and get bigger. So I wanted to educate myself to take advantage and optimize. So I studied exercise science. <laughs> that was my, my bachelor's degree. Started working through that. So uh, going through college, um, did full meets, did, did well in those, kind of got towards the end of my, my college span and had done what I wanted in powerlifting, just didn't have as much interest in it as, anymore. Um, mm-hmm. I was starting to beat my own bench press records. And I mean, the strength was there. I just, I wanted to look more of the part. And I love, I always loved bodybuilding. And so after my bachelor's, I said, you know what, I'm going to give this bodybuilding thing a go mm-hmm. and picked a show that was a year, a year out and just took the time to train for it. And it was, uh, we only had one show here in San Antonio at the time. It was the Lackland Classic. They've been doing it since the 80s. Right. So that was the show to do for your, your first show. And that was my, my plan, train for the, the Lackland. And I, I did that show and I, I did well. I coached myself to it and I won the middleweight class and the open and the novice. And I was real close to the overall. I won, I won the novice overall. So I'm like, wow, actually, I might have a little bit of a chance at this bodybuilding thing. Um, academic wise, I, I had gotten into my master's at that point right. and went to change the route a little bit, went nutrition because I wanted, uh, that was my real interest, but I also wanted a job field that had better stability than what I could do with my exercise science degree. Mm-hmm. So I could always work in healthcare. I, mm-hmm. I wanted to do some type of coaching with, with clients for powerlifting bodybuilding, but I wanted to be realistic too, cause those are kind of rare shots. And so I needed the stability. So going for my nutrition degree, getting my, my RD, that was, that was the goal education wise. Okay. Um, so I, that throughout that process just kept bodybuilding and now you know, fast forward to where I am now. I've how um, long ago was that? So your first show, how many years? My that? my first show that was uh, 2012. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry, 2011. Not, yeah. Okay. So nine years. Nine okay. years ago. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so you actually you hit on. So we had a list of questions for those listening. Sometimes <laughs> we do like free flow, and then other times we'll have a list of questions. So we sent John a list of questions. He actually just almost hit on a bunch of them there. Yeah. So I mean there's stuff we want to get into as far as self coaching, which is very interesting. Cause you said you self coached your fur for your first show and you like had great amount of success with that. Um, so I, I do want to dig into that. And then you seem to have a really focused um, plan as far as your education and the fact you wanted to coach is this wasn't one of those cases where you just kind of fell into coaching. It was like, Hey, I want to coach, but at the same time, I need, I know I need some stability in the job market. Cause I know that maybe this coaching thing might not work out. Um, so you seem to have, even from a young age, you seem to have a very focused plan on what you wanted to do. It, it wasn't always clear. And I think, you know, for younger people that are listening, it's okay to not have that clear vision, but you just maybe sort of have an idea of things that you like and that can get narrowed down. And that's, that's what I had when I was coming out of high school, I had this interest in, in training um, I had people asking me questions like, John's the strong guy. Like, what do you do? And that's usually like in your group of friends, if you're like the strong guy, like, what do you do? 
and I liked I liked helping my my friends and giving that advice. And so going into college, I, I kind of had that in my back of my mind and looking into different areas of what I could do, like their strength coaches, um, you know, you could do a personal trainer, learning more about like other dietitians, but I shied away from that because that was very clinical. Like you might work in the hospital. I'm like, Oh, I don't know about working yeah. in the hospital. So I was actually undeclared for my first two years at, at college. Cause I just couldn't, I, I, I won't commit because I know once I do, I'll go all in. <laughs> uh-huh. So I, I am kind of procrastinate in that way. Um, but when I finally do make the decision, I'll, I'll go full throttle on it. So yeah, I was undeclared for a while and I, I was a biology major and then I was going to do physical therapy school. And um, I, I had jumped around and finally, then I, I committed to like what I, what I knew what I wanted to do. Um, but e- even then, it's at that age, you don't really know where you're going to end up. I have lots of friends that got degrees and they end up in a completely different field that they, that they were in. And hopefully that's not the case. Yeah. Um, so like at that age, you kind of need to think about like, what is your end goal and do everything you can to keep headed in that direction. I think a lot of people start just going through school and they don't have their end goal in mind. And it's mm-hmm. like, well, now what are you going to do? It's like, mm-hmm. I'm doing this art degree. Like, well, what are you going to do for a job? Like, can you pay for your lifestyle? So, right. um, but yeah, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't always completely clear <laughs> on what I exactly wanted to do, but it definitely um, started to get more honed in as I, as I went through the academics. Yeah, for sure. It seemed to work out. So did you work as a dietitian then, as an RD? I did. Um, I started out clinical. That's usually our first jobs once you get with your RD. Um, like to, There are jobs in the university setting to be a, a sports dietitian, but that is like the Ferrari job, right? It's the sexy job that everybody wants and you have to be like overly qualified to do it. So usually, yeah, clinical is our first spots to, to open up. So I was, uh, I started at a hospital here, acute care setting. I was a dietitian for an acute rehab unit. So people that needed a longer hospital stay, um, usually a lot of elderly individuals and then like our general medical unit with a variety of cases. And I worked in clinical for three years and did all kinds of, <laughs> of stuff, did a lot of ICU that eventually came, became to be my niche. And um, so I was doing all the, like the two feedings for people that were innovated, the IV feedings on people and also worked the NICU as well. So yeah. all the, all, all, a lot of premature babies and, and running feedings on, on them. So definitely a very different area than, than what I'm in now, definitely a niche area. So eventually I was still coaching people on the side. Yeah. And so how do you get to jump into doing your own private practice? Um, well, I always had some clients on the side, even before I had my RD. <clears throat> and I got to a point when I was, I was doing well with it and I had, you know, I think maybe 15 clients, 12 clients, something in that area. <clears throat> and it's like, well, you have to decide at a point, like, where do you want to go in your career finally? Cause I was at a hospital where I, in the ICU where it's like, I need to study research to us. Uh, so I these are people's lives. Like I need to put everything into this. But then I'm at the same time, I have this other business that's completely different that I need to put time into. It's specialized as well. So finally, it's like, you have to make a decision. It's, you, you're going to be a jack of all trades, master of none. Um, so I, w- I had two months where I was like, you know what? I'm going to go all in on coaching. I put in my two-month notice I gave them <laughs> at the hospital and did everything I could to get my client number up enough to cover my hospital income. And, and I did. 
you know, just going to full, full throttle on it, left the hospital and that was it. Never, never looked back. It was just, you know, make it work or <laughs> that was it. That's awesome. How scary was that when, while you were doing that? <sighs> it, it took it, like I said, I was, uh, it took a while to, to commit. It took a while to commit to that decision. Mm-hmm. Um, but what was scarier was seeing the jobs of my, in my future, like being, uh, director of the food service department of the hospital and the thought of me sitting there was miserable uh-huh. that was much scarier <laughs> than me taking a risk and and being like coaching bodybuilding yeah so like can put in that perspective it's like oh well this is an easy choice <laughs> like I, nice. I don't want that job nice. um let me do everything i can to make sure that doesn't happen and that that fear is a is a motivator as well too it's there but if you ever want to make a good change, you're going to need to do something that's uncomfortable that gets you a little, little bit scared. The moment you're content, you're probably not improving too much anymore. So nice. Um, a little bit of a tangent, but I think John might actually find this interesting. So the first sort of exposure that I think we had to you that was just prior to the Olympia, because yeah. I think we started following you on Instagram. Um, and I just remember like Jamie's been obviously involved in bodybuilding longer than I have. So, you know, her influence is on me. And we, st- I remember looking at your Instagram and I was like, man, this, this guy knows what he's talking about. This is kind of cool. Like, you know, his, his clips, they make sense. You know, you're talking about nutrition and stuff. And I think at this time, you know, while you were prepping for, it was the 2019 Olympia, you were going through like what you were eating, like really fine, like, um, like very detailed on what you were eating, your macros. And I was like, wow, I find this totally fascinating. And then I remember looking at your profile and I'm like, wow, this guy actually has a lot of education in nutrition. Like he's, he's not just a successful bodybuilder who takes clients. He actually has post, a lot of post-secondary education. Like, this is cool. So when we went to Vegas and watched the Olympia, yeah. we were like, they were rooting for you. We were like, yeah, oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, this guy's got a ton of education and he's on stage at the highest level. This is really cool. So um, that was sort of our first exposure to you. And then of course, now you, you coach Jamie, obviously. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to talk a bit about the coaching aspect. So you, you compete at the highest level of bodybuilding. And just for clarity, that's in the 212 category, correct? Yes, that's yeah. right. So, so for those listening who have no idea about weight classes and bodybuilding, how does that work? Yeah, so at least, well, I guess for the, for the amateur side in bodybuilding, there's six weight class divisions, which they're kind of broken up by 20-pound uh, increments just for simplicity's sake. I'm not, I don't need to list them all out. Like when I was competing, I was mainly a, a light heavyweight and then did heavyweight. That's when I turned pro. So that was the cutoff. It was 181 to 198 for a light heavyweight. Mm-hmm. Um, heavyweight was 198 to 225. 225 plus was like super heavyweight. Right. Okay. Um, so that's kind of where I fell. But once you go into the, the professional ranks, there's only two weight divisions. So there's 212 and under, then there's the open which you can weigh anything. Right. Um, and you don't, you could weigh 212 or under and still compete in the open. It's just, there's just no restrictions there. Gotcha. Um, but if you fall within the right height category for yourself and it would make sense for you to do 212, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's how we, we break up the weight divisions. Yeah. And then as far as competing as a pro, so when did you, when did, number one question, when did you turn pro? And then, just for clarity for folks listening, like how hard is it? Because people see, and I, I get this from a lot of questions from some people who within, let's say the CrossFit community who are just like, oh, it's another, you know, IBFF pro. It's like, whatever. Um, what does that even mean? 
um, you know, it seems like everybody has that take. How hard is it to become a pro? Like, like how long did it take you? And then I guess, like, what do you have to do to do that? Yeah. So uh, the first steps would be to, you have to qualify at, a, at like a local, regional, state level show. Usually those are, almost all of them now are national qualifiers. Mm-hmm. It, it didn't used to be like that. Usually for Texas, we had like two shows that were national qualifiers. It was the Europa and the Texas State. And those were like, man, if you won that, you are hot shit. You know, you're like, you're ready for nationals. Um, now it's different because in Texas, we almost have a show every weekend or every other weekend and almost all those are national qualifiers and uh, now it's also the top two in each weight class are qualified for nationals so you go to the right show almost you can almost get qualified anywhere so it doesn't hold the same meeting to get nationally qualified as it used to a few years right. ago okay so once you are qualified at one of these national qualifiers then you can go to a national level show and uh, there's five national shows. Two of those are junior level. Only certain divisions can turn pro at that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for bodybuilding, there's three main shows where you can turn pro at. And each one's a little bit different as far as uh, placings and how you turn pro. Uh, for me, I turn pro at uh, USA's, mm-hmm. which is held in Vegas. Um, you have to be first in your weight class, and that will get you a pro card. Mm-hmm. Um, a few of the other ones you have to, you could be top two. There's another show where you're, you have to be top three in the open. So when all winners of each weight class will compete against each other, the top three in the overall will turn pro. So there's a, a few little, you know, nuances there, but uh, overall, yeah, you need to go to uh, qualify for a national level show and, and win your class. Pretty much. Gotcha. Um, and that has gotten easier as well as time has gone by now there is a, a larger pool of people competing than there was. So I guess it makes sense to open it up a little bit more, but it used to be like at USA's you had to win the overall. So out of the six weight classes, the six weight class winners, only one guy would turn pro uh, a year at USA's. And, and now you have six guys turning right. pro, gotcha. um, which you had guys that, that, that lineup at USA's was deep. I mean, like all 10 of those guys back in the nineties, all were on the Olympia stage. So you, you see the caliper of athlete that was at the national level. So back then being at nationals like was a big deal, especially winning national was huge. So it, it has quickly the you know, prestige of it has dropped off some. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it seems like since guys have more chances to turn pro, the it's thinning out the competitive lineup as you go through. Cause you'll have guys that do like all the national shows and by the end of it, they all turn pro, and then you kind of thin out the herd a little bit, and, and the lineup isn't quite as strong. But gotcha. um, it all gets sorted at the top somewhere, right. you know. Yeah. So okay, you're a pro um, now. As a, as a pro, you to get to the Olympia, that's our Super Bowl for right. for bodybuilding. Um, in, in bodybuilding, you need to win a pro level show. Right. That is going to be where it really separates now. Like if you win a pro bodybuilding show, or even in the top five in a pro bodybuilding show. Um, you, you are at a very high competitive level. So that would be more meaningful, but I understand cause we have the same thing. Like there's so many pros now and so many guys that turn pro and you see them compete as a pro and you're like, how did you turn pro? Cause they're not holding up to what like some of the right. national level guys even were now. Um, but again, like I said, it, it will get sorted out at some level. Right. Um, but to get to Olympia, you need to win a pro show. 
Mm -hmm. or um, you, they take top three in points. So we have a point system for right. each, each placing along the way. And the top three guys in points can also go. So we have a 20-guy a lineup for, for the Olympia. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Did you, uh... So it's, yeah, so it's, it's definitely like, I mean, one, so once you, how do you feel like things changed once, once you became a pro? Did the game change for you? Like for dialing stuff in, like did you have to make changes? Well, so after I did USA as a turn pro, I did my pro debut eight weeks later. Um, I, Actually, I weighed I in. Because I followed you then. Uh, <laughs> I yeah, I, I did the Phoenix Europa, which I had a real debate with myself because I was really close to that 212 weight class. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, weighed, I weighed in at 217 at nationals, and this was like eating is plenty, drinking water, no problem making weight. Um, I was probably closer to like 209-ish that morning that I competed. <clears throat> so it's like, well, what do you do? Do you stay 212 and not have a lot of room to make improvements? Or do you go to the open where, hey, you're not, you're not going to be big Rami at 300 pounds on stage. Um, there's also a lot of health risks that go along with pushing up into the open. So it's like, well, let's take a shot at the 212. You're close. See how you do. And then that will be a gauge for where you stand and what you should do. So that's why I did my pro debut eight weeks later. I ended up getting fifth at my pro debut. Um, and it was with a good, a good lineup. Um, Charles Dixon won that show. He'd been Olympia competitor. Um, Heidi Tata was also a competitor. Guy Sissonierno. Like, it was guys that had been the Olympia lineup and guys I was staying next to. And I was hanging with these guys. So mm -hmm. it, it gave me a good gauge. But I love the – of training and improving that's what I really love the stage is almost I, I've come to lo love it more as I've gone on but originally I just like to train and get big <laughs> so it's like well that's what I love to do I love training just improving like so I was like let's go I want to move up to try to move up to the open and um, that's just been a hit or miss along the way for me I, I got up to about 260 and then we went to Dominican Republic with my, my wife and I and I got some type of parasite over there and I was sick for like five weeks. Um, and every week it was kind of a different symptom to not know if it was the same thing or something else I was catching. I'll get a little bit better then it'll get a little worse. And finally I went to gastroenterologist. He's yeah. like, yeah, you, you picked up something, but he's like, but I think you're getting better. He's like, let's not go through the full spectrum of testing. And it's like that week I saw him, I actually felt a hundred percent finally, but I lost, I lost like, I was almost 25 pounds. Ooh, um, wow. so I'm like, well, back to 212. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. So I was like 240 by back then. And then I was like, well, I'll prep for another 212 show. And, um, and that, that's kind of why I've stayed in the class. And, um, that year I, I was doing okay. Um, placings didn't improve as much. And then the following, this following year, 2019 is when it really, uh, was a, a good standout year mm -hmm. for me. Okay, so before you mentioned that you were like for your first show, you self coached. Yeah, yeah, I did. How long did you self coach for? And then when? Because I know that you have a coach now because you have Andrew Vu, right? Right, right. So when did like when did you decide? Okay, and like have you gone through a few coaches or? And when did you decide? Okay, I can't do this on my own anymore. I need someone else's. <laughs> yeah. Objective. No, these these are great questions for like especially beginners starting out because so many people do self coach and. Right. Um, 
I mean, going back to like, I love to learn and learn the whys about bodybuilding and also starting out, I, I just didn't have a lot of money. Right. So the thought like, Hey, I want to bodybuild as much as I can with spending the least possible. So having a coach wasn't going to be an option for me, which going back, I, I probably would have maybe considered things differently, but <laughs> I, 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 I read a lot and I, I learned a lot. And so I, I felt like I had a good grasp on what, what could be done. And there's, at least in today's age, we have so much information out. Yeah. You can learn a lot. And I had been learning this for, for several years. And so I was like, I'm, I'll just take a swing at it myself. And I, uh, I, I coached myself for three years. So I did three shows yeah. on my own. Um, one, my first one I did, I went to the Texas state. That was going to be my, you know, the big one for nationals, which was competitive. I ended up getting uh, ninth at that show. I did terrible. <laughs> uh, just so many things that were, that were wrong. Um, bad tanning. Just, I wasn't lean enough. Just a mess. Uh, made, just made, made mistakes, <clears throat> amateur mistakes that I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have won and go to nationals anyway. I did I, the next year I did branch Warren and I, uh, I put everything in that was an emotional one for me too, because of, of that loss from Texas state, like, God, I feel like I need a redemption. And it was such this years now of trying to get to, to a couple years of trying to get to nationals. And, um, I coached myself for that one and, and turned, uh, got the national qualifier. I was in tears afterwards after prejudging. Cause I knew, I knew like I was there, you know, this, right. this was going to be it. I didn't even go to finals yet. And, um, it's, and so I went off season. Like, all right, I know I'm right at like one, I was 189. I weighed in. I'm like, I got to be a light heavyweight at, to be at the top of this weight class. I bulked up in off season. I got way too fat because I was like 230. And looking back, I was like, you look like a Michelin man, <laughs> round face. Um, just just make, making mistakes, coaching myself. Like, mm-hmm. um, trying to be educated, but I didn't have the experience of the eye to kind of look over what I was, what I was missing. Um, I, w- I would just, you kind of look in the mirror or you're, you're chasing the scale more so when you're in the off season. So pushing food when I shouldn't have been pushing food and just gaining more body fat. Right. And so I was, I was like, well, I'll do about the same amount of prep for my first time at USA's, which is going to be 2015. I'm going to be a late, light heavyweight. I'm 230 right now. Um, start dieting. I'm down to like 220. I'm like, Oh, I don't know. And I, I was like, I just, I want to do so good. And so I came across, um, two coaches. One was well, that I had been following. Um, one was Matt Porter oh, because yeah. he was, he had a very well thought out logic behind what he did and it would explain things very well. And, and I connected well with that. <clears throat> I knew some of the guys that he, that he had coached and they looked good. And so I thought about reaching out to him. My other buddy brought up Matt Jansen. And I had never heard of Matt Jansen and I, I knew he was, co- he, he was coaching Justin Compton at the time, which Justin was huge. He looked amazing. Uh, Matt, I, Matt was, was the guy that didn't have the genetic card for bodybuilding. He wasn't the pro bodybuilder that you're like, Oh man, what does this guy do? But he had, he had the quickly got the knowledge set to do it. Um, so I reached out to Matt and and he like got back to me. Communication was great. And, uh, we started, he took over my prep at like, I think we're like 12 weeks out 
He's like, dude, we have some fat to pull off. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I was like, I'll do whatever it takes, you know, like I'll, I'll do whatever. Right. Yes. Everyone says that. Yep. Um, but I ended up, I ended up dieting down to like a, uh, a middleweight. Uh, so I weighed in 176 pounds. Oh my God. Um, I feel like, man, did I make negative gains in the off season? <laughs> uh, but really like I was, I would never been truly in contest shape. And so that was an eye opener. Yeah. So getting a coach that had experience in what that process should look like timing wise, that was an issue for me is timing everything. Mm -hmm. So having someone with that experience, you can't learn that anywhere. Um, you, you have to have someone that's has watched with the eye of where you need to be for how many weeks out you are mm -hmm. and what that true conditioning looks like. And that's what, that's what Matt had. And of course he had refined his, his training, his diet approach more so than what, than what I have. I understood it all. Like anytime he would make a change, I knew the, the background processes, the metabolism, the physiology, everything I could explain it, but of when to do those things is an experience thing. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so that was the great benefit to, to bringing him on. And I was, I was shredded. I was the leanest. I would, there were people that said like, you were the leanest guy at USA's that year. <laughs> and, uh, cause I was, I was like way depleted. I was so, so skinny for 176 pounds. Um, but I got, I got six there. So I stayed with Matt for, for three years mm -hmm. and, uh, well, we, we did great together. Um, we progressed along the way. I, I felt <clears throat> like we were kind of getting a little stagnant at this 212 mark. We were just, peak week was missing. I, I would, my best was always at USA's when I turned pro. I did, um, you know, three, uh, pro shows. I just, I never looked sharp and you know, I always looked flat and, um, decided it was, I went, I did a show my own. I did my own peak for, uh, I was like, I told Matt, I was like, Hey, I need, I need to just try to run this myself. Like you taught me a lot along mm -hmm. the way. I had been thinking about it for a while but I, I had such a commitment and loyalty to Matt that it, it was hard to pull away too. Um, but, but I did it. I did, I did the Dallas Europa coached myself and peaked for that one. That was a few weeks after I did New York with Matt and a little bit of improvement in placings. And I think improved the look and I just needed a break uh, from having a coach. And cause I have with someone you, you want to build some rapport and make sure that they're invested as much in you as you are in your goal. Cause I just see so many coaches that are just so superficial in what they do and how they are with their athletes. Um, and kind of throughout that off season, I started building a relationship with Andrew. Vu. I knew Andrew back when I competed as a middleweight at USA. So we, we were acquaintances, but over the off season, I would t just talk and talk to him. And finally um, I started prepping for Chicago and I was like four weeks out and I had been doing my own prep again which was great. It was actually the best prep I've ever had because I, I finally got to a point where I understood the look to look for, when to push, when to pull, when to make the right calls. And um, I, I was doing like the least amount of cardio I've ever done, the most food I've ever had, feeling the best, I was sleeping normal. Like I, I had terribly rough preps before. Um, not that it was easy, but at four weeks out, I'm like, man, I think – coaching myself I, I don't want at this level I don't want to leave something on the table and I, I never want to be like arrogant or think that I know all the answers I want to stay open to have someone else to be able to learn from it's a great and, mindset, yeah. you know Andrew 
he's not the guy that's going to be able to explain the metabolic process of why we're doing something or the physiological processes. Like he just doesn't do that. Right. He, and, and he doesn't have that background as strong as others, but he has an eye, like he, he just knows what to do. He sees it and can pick up a detail that's changed in your body and will know the change to make. Awesome. Why are you making that change? He's like, I, you just need it. <laughs> and it's like, well, okay. Like I was like, well, this is the explanation. I think of why he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we'll do it and it'll work and it'll look, and it'll look great. So, um, he's the guy that has the, the great, the great eye for it, which, um, and I got, I know guys that are like, Oh, well this coach is a PhD and he, you know, published these studies. And it's like, man, honestly, if you can't get someone to stage that looks and, and show them improving year to year, that's what it really boils down to. I mean, you can't explain everything with the research studies, applying it to, to especially contest prep where we don't have minimal research. So uh, Vu was the guy that had the eye and especially really peaked me the way I needed to be. And that was a huge takeaway from him is like, you just watch the look and don't try to worry about as much of um, the numbers and being too analytical about it. And like you have your set plan and you have to go by your plan. It's like, no, no, look at the pictures and like, do they change? Okay, keep doing that. that that's working. Or, hey, there was a negative change. What did I just change? Let's, let's, let's make a tweak. So in my peak week, that was like he dialed it in big time um, to where like I had used like two different types of diuretics. I was cutting water. I was changing sodium. Like who knows what the hell even worked or didn't. Right. Um, with him, it's like, well, you look great a week out. You're drinking three gallons of water a day. Let's just do that every day. It was like, well, keep doing that. So for Tampa, when he, when uh, we finally dialed it in a little bit more, I didn't cut water at all. I drink three gallons of water every day and, and no diuretics, you know, I, I look, I look great. Um, so it's that was a combination of like science and art at the same time. It, it, def, it definitely is. Yeah. And so the, back to this coaching, my long winded answer to this question, um, self coaching is great. Cause as a, as a bodybuilder, you definitely need to learn all the ins and outs and whys of what you're doing for one, just to know if you're having a, a safe approach, but also be able to give feedback if you are working with a coach. Um, and I think a, a coach can help teach you those things. Um, so you need to kind of self-study, I think, in bodybuilding as any athlete to become the best that you can be. But a good benefit to actually having a coach as well is you're not trying to reinvent the wheel and you have someone to learn from, from their experiences and their eye to, to gather that. But I think even at the top, top level, everyone has a coach. So no one's really self-coaching at, at, at the top level. You'll at least have, a, have an eye to, to look over. Like, can you imagine like NBA teams are like, oh yeah, we don't need coaches now because we're professionals. It's like, no, they have like the top level coaches in, in like for their training, their nutrition, everything. Right. And so as a pro athlete, well, you should have the same thing. You just need to be the athlete and be able to give that biofeedback to your coach. But it's a good relationship wise, Andrew, because I am definitely, I'm hard. I'm, I can be hard to coach because I do have a knowledge set mm -hmm. and I have, I can get a, a little bit controlling and opinionated on things. Interesting. Um, so, <laughs> looking at me. <laughs> so, you know, as a, a good athlete is a, to be a coachable athlete, you need someone that can just trust you and, and mm. go with it. Um, not someone that's going to like challenge you ever along the way. Uh, so, but Vu's good at like us 
working as a team, think of it that way, that yeah. we're coming up with the approach together and making those changes together. And then he also like, he won't just give like Jamie, like I give you like, this is the food for the day. There's macro numbers there. Like he'll just send me like the total macro count for the day. So I plug like everything in however I want it with what food sources I want. Um, but because I'm, I understand what needs to be happening like digestion wise and, and food wise, mm-hmm. other people just don't, aren't at that level yet. Right. So, totally. Um, you need to know like, uh, Hey, why are you having bloating issues? Oh, I'm eating like a, two pounds of cauliflower a day, like, um, or whatever, you know, so. I think uh, this will segue into a question you have maybe a little later, um, yeah. meal plans versus macros. That's yeah. <laughs> you can dig into that there. Um, I did want to get into a little bit more about, about the coaching. Um, so, I mean, you compete at the highest level um, in the world as far as bodybuilding, and you have a very successful coaching business. How do you balance training and coaching? Because there can be a huge emotional demand as far as coaching and and from what i've seen you put a lot of communication into your coaching and that requires a lot of emotional energy um how do you balance out your training because your training is obviously still it's it's what you do it's your career your coaching is it's what you do it's your career so you have two very expensive um careers as far as emotional energy like how do you balance that out and is there is there any boundaries that you put on things yeah so um i've definitely have built I always wanted to I put this, I always wanted to be the best bodybuilder possible. Mm-hmm. And so that was also building my career around being the best bodybuilder possible. So working at home and being an online coach suits itself very well to being a bodybuilder. You control your own schedule. So that is extremely helpful in coaching and coaching athletes. So I can have people be checking in at certain days and I know when I train. So um, that makes it easy to arrange things how I need to, at least from a timing aspect. So I can usually get up, do some emails that are urgent, not urgent. There's nothing too urgent in prep, but, uh, people that are on, on prep that checking in daily, uh, right. can address those people Then I can go do cardio or, you know, that part of my prep that I would need sit back down for a few hours and train midday because midday we don't have a lot going on with emails and and then come back to home and I can address like stuff for maybe the next day that needs to be occurring for the more urgent clients at the time. Um, it, it is definitely an emotional thing to be involved in with coaching athletes. Um, they, you, you put yourself emotionally in it because you get driven in, in their goals as well. So it can be very taxing. Um, you just have to be able to separate yourself at times. And I think I used to take things very personal and you just can't anymore. So you have to, to understand like people are going to make errors and they're going to be mistakes or in this business, people will just leave you and go to someone else without saying anything, you know, it just happens. Mm-hmm. So there's, you know, some people just, there's lack of trust and it's easy to drop off nowadays. It seems like, which uh, it's easy to take that very, very personal as a coach. Yeah. So, but with, with any job, I mean, there's going to be challenges and, emotional hurdles to overcome. But I think at least with the schedule that I have, um, time wise is, is probably the the bigger stressor. Right. Um, also to continue to provide quality, it's just limiting my client number. Mm. So I I have, I know some coaching more like acquaintances and some of them have, they literally have 300 clients. Uh Um, And that blows my mind. 
I couldn't even imagine. And uh, these are people that, that can compete as well. But I've also seen the quality of what happens. And a lot of people leave those coaches, um, even going to well-known coaches that still have a limited client number. Some of these coaches put out their best clients on their you know, social media. And they're like, wow, these guys are doing great. Right. Um, they get the A1 treatment coaching. The rest of the guys are like, they get their check-ins back in a week. Uh-huh. You check in, you get your email in a week later. <laughs> yeah. I'm serious. Like, so the, the, maybe they don't have a high client number, but their quality is just way, way down. So don't think hiring like some top level coach, you're going to get top level treatment. Just, it's just not the way it goes. So, um, but at least for me, like managing that is, uh, definitely keeping a cap on a client number that I know is real realistic. Then also if I have prep clients coming on, looking at when my contest season is and what shows I'm doing. And is that going to be a re- realistic for me to give everything I can for that client? Cause I had, I had one client, he, one guy, he sent me money and he just sent me an email like all at the same time. I'm like, wait a second, what show are you doing? He's like, Oh, I'm doing the Chicago amateur side. I'm like, Oh, well I'm doing the pro side. I was like, I can't prep you. <laughs> like there's, there's no way. Like I want to do my a pro show and, and prep and, you know, peak someone at the same time. So yeah, there's like just limitations that you just have to put on yourself to mm-hmm. make sure like if I was competing, because when I did my first show, the, the Lackland, that was my Olympia. Like I, I put everything I had into that. That I mean, I might as well have been walking the Olympia stage for, for how much I wanted that. Um, I picture that for someone else. Like, am I just going to give this person some half-assed service? Like, no, I want to treat them like that is their Olympia. And it very may well, well be that may be the last time that person steps on stage. Or if it is the first time, you want them to have a great experience as well, not get burned by some poor coaching experience um, and and you don't see, and I know one of the questions is about longevity in the sport, but you see a lot of people that can fall out because of their first show and a poor experience with a coach or just in, in general. So I don't want to ever be the, the reason behind that for someone. That's a great answer. I mean, and we see that within the CrossFit industry as well. I don't think that's just exclusive to bodybuilding where, you know, and I've heard of, um, you know, people getting really poor programming, um, or nutrition advice from other coaches, and you know that that coach has way too many clients, right? And I think, you know, putting a limit on that because you know how much energy it takes to coach one client where you can't do that for 300 clients, that just elevates your quality of coaching, right? So, and you know, in there, you're, you're gonna have clients who need the it's like they're three people. <laughs> you'll have clients that are like they're super compliant and they're just dialed and they just are like okay yep, yeah you're like that's that's just keep rolling this is really awesome and they know you know and then there's the people that are like you're like seriously you're like coaching three people mm-hmm. so you know like you have that's to weigh that as well, as well yeah. as a coach is not everyone is going to be like going to be super easy no that's for sure yeah <laughs> Yeah, there's definitely ones that take take more time, and I, I think just coaching have that's one thing that has improved over the years is definitely the screening process. Because when you're starting out, you're like, oh, I just got to be full time, and you know, you're you worry about income, you do, and you're like, would almost take anyone to coach and try to help them out, and uh, you, you kind of end up. Those are ones that can really um, suck you dry emotionally and time wise, yeah. and you're like, you know what, this probably wasn't a good fit. Um, for this style of coaching, or even they just weren't at a, a spot where they were ready for this st- style of coaching. Yeah. Um, I, I think it is a good good point because it's 
we've talked about starting like, you know, getting into bodybuilding and self-coaching and being a coach uh, for someone new to get coaching. And with so many people that are coaches, like how do you even disseminate between where do you even start? And uh, it, you know, you have people that have, you look at their approaches as what they've been through and you're like, well, why did you do that? That's crazy for yourself. And you're like, well, I didn't know. I just trusted my coach. And it's like, well, why'd you take all these drugs and why'd you do this? Like, you know, it's like they, they just weren't educated. So um, that's when I think as a new athlete, like you need, you need to start learning mm-hmm. about things. Um, how, how the body works, nutrition and training to have some basis there. Uh, then looking for a coach is, I think is helpful. And that's something I wish I did a lot earlier on and it would have progressed me farther, but I would have had to understand like what is a good coach. Right. And like the first three things that I usually tell people to look at for look, look for a coach that has done it themselves. For one, I think you couldn't coach someone that has never stepped, stepped on a bodybuilding stage before. It, it would be hard. You know, you need that, that understanding of have gone in through it yourself, that emotional understanding and physical understanding. Um, someone with some type of education background, they don't have to be, I know great coaches that aren't, but to have some type of logical science based approach is, is good. Then also have clients that have been there. Um, it's like, well, who have you coached? Yes. No one, or there's no one they've coached that has done well. Well, it's like, Oh, well, that's not a good resume. So, you know, look for the coach's resume, look for their background and and how they've educated themselves. And then what have they done also for themselves? And, you know, don't be scared to reach out to their athletes, you know, see, see how, how their approach is, what their communications like, what is their turnaround on, on emails? I, uh, you know, email that coach and, try to build some rapport and, and understanding with them before you start with them, ask them some questions on, you know, what is their, you know, what is your client load? What is your turnaround? What is, what is, how often do you do client updates? Um, I think within those first few emails, you'll probably have a good understanding if they're going to give you good time and communication or if they're like, yep, here's my price. Look at this website. Or, you know, do they ask you questions like, Oh, what are you looking to do? What are your goals? What's your past? If they're like inquisitive about you as a person, that might be a good indicator that they might be more vested in, in helping right. you. I think that's, that's also important because I've, uh, I think it's, it's almost more important that should they have an interest in helping you versus just, they have a good background, you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. they, you know, it's more important to know, like, uh, you know, people remember how you made someone feel versus, you know, what, what you taught them or what you did. Uh, Absolutely. so, you know, I think you should always have that in, in mind. Right. Um, so, um, I was going to ask about, oh, yeah, so you, you coach, you coach your wife, correct? <laughs> I do. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, what are your thoughts about coaching your spouse? Um, I mean, we've had some interesting, um, issues pop up cause Jamie previously did my programming, but I know it can be very difficult when you do coach your spouse because you have, or you already have a very established relationship. Um, and it's going to be different than someone you don't know who's a quote unquote client. Um, but it, you seem to have a great deal of success with this. So, so what's your secret? Uh, well, well, I've made mistakes. (laughs) (laughs) So with mistakes, you, you learn and you get better. Um, failures are successes. I, uh, I had, I was previously married Mm -hmm. and my, my ex was doing a going to do a bikini competition. This was before I even competed. I just, 
you know, I, I knew some stuff and I was going to coach my, my wife at the time. And that was a mess. That was such a mess. And it, it just, I wasn't the right person to do it. So that relationship was just, was it, it wasn't, it was an ex, so it wasn't uh, awesome to begin with, but right. um, it, it's, it was very hard what I realized to separate yourself as a coach and as a husband and your spouse doesn't view it like that. They don't see like, this is my coach telling me something. This is my husband telling me something. So it's like, Hey, you know, it's all, you're, they feel like you're always getting judged by not being lean enough or you never, you, know, you need to be improving. And that is taken up as, you know, from the spouse is like, this is my husband telling me I need to improve and I'm not looking, <laughs> looking good, uh, which is not what you're saying. You're not saying those things, right? Uh, so that was, that was a very difficult process to do. And I just shouldn't have been coaching. Um, coming with Renee though, that, uh, that is very different. And I think for one, she met me as this person, like I was a bodybuilder, I was a coach. So she already understood me as that back in this previous relationship that became what I did throughout that relationship. So I had probably a different perspective of, she had a different perspective of me of like what she viewed me as. Um, Of course to Renee, I'm always like the husband spouse first. And what I do is coach people and I'm a bodybuilder. Um, So, but with her, we, I was like, okay, listen, we need to set up something to be like a client to where you're sending in it to a coach and together we're, we're never really on that coaching athlete level in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have her email me her pictures and send me an email update, just like all my other clients do. Then uh-huh. I can send her, her, her email response of what to do. And that way we keep it very professional. I'll be like, Hey, then I can go out in the kitchen. I was like, Hey, what's your uh, coach change day? I was like, Oh, he dropped your carbs. What an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. I hate my coach. <laughs> um, but I, yeah. yeah, it's it, it it's worked well, and, and also coaching your spouse, it can get very relaxed, and that you start getting away from the the very formalities of what you need to be doing and tracking things right. along the way, and uh, so you all of a sudden you're just checking, like, oh, well, let me take a take a look at you, and you're like, oh yeah, change this for the day, and I think things are easy to slip by that way too. So I always want to keep it at the same level of, you know, I'm, I'm making my notes in my Excel sheets on things I'm changing and sending those things to her. So we're always able to look back on them, but um, separating it out like that has been really helpful. And when we are together, she'll still ask me questions, but that, that hasn't changed. It's just how we've always been. Right. So. Oh, cool. That's, that's, that's interesting. You know, it's funny because I mean, you obviously had a bad experience the first time coaching your spouse. So I would have thought, okay, that would be a, you'd be like, okay, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> but obviously it's worked quite well for you and Renee. I, I thought about it. I thought I was like, Andrew, maybe you should coach Renee. Or, uh, <laughs> but it's been, it's been going well and she's doing awesome. And I yep. think her mindset about it is in a healthy spot too. So it, it works out. Right on. Um, I just want to throw this out there because I'm sort of interested, I'm sure there are other people are too, about what, so on off season as compared to um, when you're in prep, what does your food look like? Hmm. Yeah, um, I have typically been one in prep that have to get pretty low in food, Um, especially because I'm having a really, my body doesn't like going all the way down to 212. I'm usually around 240. So um, 
food wise, well, what I'll start off like, so I'm about to start prep. So food wise right now, um, my, my normal training days are like 300 grams of carbs, 300 protein and about 60 fat. Um, I have one day a week where we go really high in carb. It's like 900 grams of carbs. Mm. And then my days off of training, it's like a hundred carbs and fats come up to like a hundred grams and protein stays the same. So that's kind of where I'm at baseline that maintains me around 240. Uh, I was a little bit higher in food previously when my weight was coming back up, but now we've had to, to hold it. So usually maybe a high that I, I got to this past off season was like 500 grams of carbs. So another, about another um, 800 calories over what I'm at now that was bringing my weight up. Um, but I sit pretty close on, on average around, I'd say 3,500 calories ish around there. My days kind of change, but averaged out. It's, I think it's close around there. Um, Going in into prep though, uh, gosh, last year for for Chicago, I was eating 50 grams of carbs a day, uh, 300 grams of protein, and my fats were just trace fats, so I had no added fats in. It was just whatever was incidental through carbs or protein. Now, so that's the lowest I ever got down to. That was a few weeks before the show. Of course, it's slowly getting down to that area, but uh, to that is not a lot of food for someone who is you know, 200, over, pounds. over 200 pounds and, and very, very lean, but yeah. it takes a lot to, for me to get there. But once I'm down and I'm lean, I can add food back in and it gets a lot more livable. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm thinking with, with Andrew and what we've been able to do and figure a lot of stuff out in 2019 that uh, maybe we'll have a, a little bit better approach to where I don't have to go low. as low or as extreme in, in cardio. So we'll see but that's yeah that's how the diet diet has changed one thing that was really i picked up last year that was super beneficial and it's kind of gonna be more evident within research as well as doing like uh, two high carb days um like refeeds right. and then having like your another five to seven days in a larger calorie deficit right. um, i was doing like these really high high carb day refeed days like 600 grams of carbs digestion was get off. I would get bloated. It would take me several days to get kind of back on track. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to split this in half over two days. And that's when like, man, I, training was better. Digestion was better. I got a better response out of it. Then all of a sudden, like I'd had to up my food because it was working better like during the week. Um, so that was, that was a huge benefit. And even like within the literature, it looks like, you know, a couple days of higher calorie feeding is, is better than just, just one day. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, we we both utilize refeeds within our client base with performance or body composition, and and that's an interesting study that came up. It was that five and two, and um, matador. Was that what it was? There was matador. matador? The, the matador was one of the original ones. That, yeah. and then we have like uh, Bill Campbell out of USF. He's yeah. um, just came out with a, a diet refeed study too, doing five yeah. on, two off, and. They had, a, I think it was similar fat loss within groups, but m- much greater muscle mass retention and de- a, a lesser, like a, it wasn't hu- huge, but significant a decrease in resting metabolic rate was, was uh, established better with doing the five to two diary right. phase. Um, on the same sort of line of note, um, what's your thought, and this is kind of a, this could be a really deep rabbit hole to go down, but what's your thought, thoughts around food quality? So a lot of people will, be very much um, married to their macros, so to speak, where it's like, hey, I've got these macros, I'm just going to find whatever foods I'm going to fit in. And as long as I'm hitting my targets and my total caloric intake for the day, I'm good to go. Um, And then 
there's sort of the other line of thinking where it's like, no, you know, it's maybe the numbers don't matter so much. It's more your food quality. Where, as far as personally and coaching, where do you sit on that? Uh, both matter yep. uh, equally. So, and I know people, <laughs> a lot of people don't like those types of answers. Um, I think just culturally and everything, you know, like you look over any type of topic, people love extremes, black, white, I'm Republican, I'm Democrat, you know, I'm Christian, I'm Buddhist or whatever, you know, I'm vegan, I'm carnivore. Like people love forming into these, like these cliques, mm-hmm. gain identity with them and take them up as your, your belief system. Uh, but a lot of times, a lot of these truths, especially in fitness and nutrition, they definitely lie in the middle in this gray area. Um, there's truth to both sides. And there's also like, you know, mis not misleadings, but also fallacies that are taken up by each sides or justifications around whatever it may be to kind of prove their point. Um, so within this topic of like, it's just about numbers or no, 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 it's just about quality. Well, truly it, it is about both. And there needs to be some, some middle ground there. So uh, that's, that's where I lie. Like I, I, I give clients macro numbers and foods to use and within bodybuilding, it is very important, especially on a prep, when food choices are getting so limited, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's easy to give someone foods that are very devoid of lots of micronutrients and deficiencies within contest prep are, are prevalent. It's like, oh, we'll just take a multivitamin. John, you just fill in the gaps that way. And it's like, well, there's a lot of other things you might be missing throughout those food sources if you're not picking good ones. So like we know on prep, like dietary fiber gets really low, um, especially as you get low in energy availability. Like what I mean by like calories low or body fat are low, uh, you do have poor GI motility. So you get a lot of people that get really constipated on prep. It's like, well, if we're not picking the right food sources for that, it's easy to have even greater digestive issues. So it's important prep to make sure we're optimizing digestion and how you feel and perform as a person and not just a mathematical model of this is calories and this is calories out. And we already know like that doesn't work like that. You can feed someone 500 calories, overfeed them 500 calories of maintenance. Some people will gain weight. Some people will not, not gain weight at all. So it's not just perfect math all the time. You're, you're working within a biological system that has a lot of, lot of adjustments and, and auto regulation to it that you just can't, account for that in that sense. Now, I I do want people to get to a more flexible, mindful approach because contest prep, it does cater much so to building in eating disorders in in so many people um, where it's just like, you have to eat this or you're bad. And then we have cheat meals, right? And people go binge and then you're back to restriction. And it's, which is tough to combat in a prep. And you have people, oh, just prep off your macros. I think that could be okay for some people, but you really need to be under able to understand what you're eating and how you're responding. And when foods are constantly changing, it does make it harder to do so. And that's why you see a lot of diet bodybuilding diet approaches towards the end of prep where they are very strict and regimented in that sense because you're able to predict a lot better the response. Right. With within off season, when the food quantity is so high you can have a lot more room for error where you don't need, no, 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 this meal, I need 41.5 grams of protein. Like no, for the whole day, we can probably just build in some ranges and try to get people to hit within those ranges. 
and also maybe have them do some macro matching throughout the day. Not to where like, hey, you can have a Pop-Tart instead of your you know, sweet potato, but something reasonable like, hey, you have potatoes, you have quinoa, you have rice or whatever you know, to be able to choose from, from have that variety. Right. And I think within that setting, uh, that's kind of where you should be going in the off season, but for bodybuilding and still progressing towards goals, you need still need some type of counting system and pro- progress right. to, to be able to progress and move forward. Um, but you know, how you move in the in flexibility should change from off season and prep. Gotcha. Cool. Well, and I think one of the reasons why <clears throat> when you're in prep too, and it's very structured and it's like kind of like three ingredient meals and it's easy is one. Yes. You said it's easy to predict things, but it's also less thinking (laughs) (laughs) because towards the end, it's like, do you want to be making like four different meals throughout the day and, and making those meals? It's far easier to just have less thinking because at that point you're like, you just want to be kind of in that little, you call it robot mode. Yeah. It's like robot mode, like <laughs> groundhog day. Yeah. No, that's, that's a, a huge point. And even the emotional toll of giving someone that freedom when they're already in a state that is so food focused yeah. to now that they, they have to pick their foods and they could come up all day long thinking about one meal of how they're going to match their macros to make this happen. It's, it can become even more obsessive, you know, over trying to fit within all these food, food groups. Um, almost to an unhealthy extent. It's like, Hey, just, you don't have to think about it. You just eat this and then go move on through your day, focus on other things. Um, but I mean, you know, even on prep people are like planning out their like week long cheat meals for the, for the rest post show, you know, it's like, gosh, you you need to start pulling people away from that because that's where you're going to have really issues long-term with these clients and you Mm -hmm. know what they're doing post show and the metabolic ramifications of going off and binge eating and along the way you should be like coaching these people to under like freshly new competitors getting ready for what they're going to experience emotionally in prep around foods and, and the issues of going off of contest prep of like binge eating and trying to already establish in some type of system we're going to have to have some freedom but also still keep some type of regiment in place but you're right like you need that uh, emotional mental focus around hey the focus on these foods and just eat this rather than trying to plan out everything. Cause at that state, you're just not mentally quite equipped to do so. Mm-hmm. No, it's like one foot in front of the other, get the cardio done, get the lifting done. <laughs> yeah. Um, this question, I got a question for you and it kind of, it could go back to maybe the self coaching or go back to maybe coaching, but um, what's the, <laughs> it's, a, it's a bit of a loaded question, but what's the biggest mistake that you have ever made, whether it's been as an athlete yourself or as a coach, and then what did you learn from it? Um, that is a tough one because I, I I saw that question on the list and I was thinking about like what was my biggest mistake I've made, and I, I would say I know it's it, it's kind of lackluster, I guess, because I I don't have some gigantic mistake I've ever made. Mm-hmm. Um, th- there's been just kind of small little ones along the way, but things that I could learn from that were devastating, you know, to what, what I've done. I was trying to think like, you know, training wise or nutrition wise or, or, you know, things, but there's nothing that was like drastic that stood out to where like I totally just bombed something, um, which is good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, even, even coaching, like I, I was thinking like, did I really just mess some client up or, you know, do something like that? I, I, I don't, um, 
I didn't have anyone that really stood out, which I, which I guess is, is nice. But um, I, I think like at least from training wise, coming from a powerlifting background, I definitely have a lot more like more beat up nowadays for sure. And I, I, I can get emotionally connected with the ways that I want to train versus how I should train. Mm. And that, that going back to my younger years and thinking like I would have trained a lot differently and not have been trying to just chase the big squat or the big deadlift. And, just focus on trying to train like a, like a bodybuilder really should. And I think that would have uh, increased the longevity as well. And by no means, like I didn't have a dramatic injury or anything. I've, I've had a few muscle tears, nothing too devastating. Um, I can still compete, but gosh, it could, it could have been a lot worse. I've seen it happen a lot worse for some guys that have dramatic injuries, trying just to train off of what feels good emotionally you know, chasing a number and just going crazy and raging on something. Uh-huh. And it leads to this devastating muscle tear or uh, a joint injury. And, uh, you know, for have within this sport to do really, really well, you have to be able to do it consistently for years. Right. And you are stomping the brake on it when you're training, you know, like a moron and just ch- chasing numbers and moving from point A to point B. So that's things that I, I would go back and, probably put more emphasis for myself of, of learning functional movement patterns and how to strengthen areas that are going to be deficits um, for people that just train how we do in bodybuilding. Um, and that's what I've learned. Like with all the injuries I've had, there are always weaknesses in, 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 in my body that produce compensations that result in injuries. And it's like things I didn't train, like my rotator cuffs, my glute medius, you know, things that like, I don't, I'm not doing functional movements and you're imbibing like, well, I don't need to move functionally. I just need to move this squat or powerlifting. You know, I just got to move this thing up and down. It's like, well, you're going to limit yourself by being able to produce force in those lines. If you're not stable, stability makes greater strength. That's with anything, any sport. So that's some things I, I would probably have gone back nutritionally like gosh i was such a nerd i didn't do anything too crazy <laughs> you know that was like i i sodium loaded for this prep like i didn't do anything like that i right. um i going like thinking back like pharmaceutical wise like mm-hmm. using anabolics using diuretics and things like that um i i wish i learned more before i, I didn't do anything too drastic i kind of built up slow over time um there's definitely a point when it got like really heavy usage and it was just, there was no other greater benefit to it than more cost and probably more detriment to my health. And, uh, I think that would have been, and then the diuretic thing for me, like you just in in bodybuilding, there's overused. There's so much overuse and I never had a health issue. I've seen guys that do, Mm -hmm. you know, show day guys that had to go to the hospital because they just overdid it with diuretics and cutting water and stuff. Um, Never have, but um, I, I I learned that too. Like in the mistakes of like you don't have to use a diuretic. You don't have right. to. You right. know, and that that and in bodybuilding, it's like oh yeah, where's where's the diuretic at? That's what you have. You must do. You don't. Um, and so those are things that I learned along the way. Like you know, tr- train intelligent, intelligently, and also like learn as much as possible if you're going to be using pharmaceuticals, uh, because 
you are not a doctor. We don't have research on these. And mm. you're having just some dude tell you what type of drugs to be taking in your body is insane. And you're just going to do it without knowing what they are, how they work um, is, a, is crazy on your own. So you can't just say, Oh my coach did it to me. It's like, you did it to yourself. You need to learn and understand those things. And uh, so going back, I, I would have definitely like put more thought into it. And it's, it's such a young man's sport at first uh-huh. that and, and young you're like you I know everyone tells you I think you're indestructible you know it's like you kind of do thinking back on it after you know now that in my 30s like gosh my 20s I felt like uh, yeah it's, it doesn't matter at the time all that matters is that one show and winning it it's like well it's just you could still do it but there's a better approach you know out there that might be give you yeah. sustainable and the longevity you need yeah. well, and I think what people to what happens with people too is they want it all all at once Mm. right and yeah this has been talking to you i mean this has been an evolution of how many years right and you know like you didn't just build this physique in like you know two years um and it's i mean so many people that just like no i've never trained before and i'm just going to take a whole bunch of gear and i'm going to train and then i'm just going to have this amazing physique and i'm going to win all the shows mm-hmm. right and it's just it's like having having the ability to like be able to see like like look ahead as opposed to just that one show like you i think that when you bodybuild you have to have to look like long term you can't just only focus on that one show with the decisions that you make to get to that show you know like it's- I, I completely agree and there's for whatever reason in physique sport there's a much more unrealistic view of what you can do in it and how and what that process looks like versus some other sports you know if you're like a high school basketball player and then you you come to a coach you're like hey next year i'm gonna go play for the san antonio spurs (laughs) no one says that like oh yeah in a year yeah i'm gonna be an nba player you know uh top salary like no one thinks that or even everyone knows like genetically like hey you're this five foot six white dude you're probably not going to be a new player. But if you come to a physique sport, you're like, oh, yeah, I don't want to get as big as Ronnie Coleman, so don't take me there. Like, dude, don't worry. You'll never going to get there. But there's, like, a very unrealistic approach of what your, your body is capable of doing, but mm-hmm. also how many years it takes to accomplish that. Just like any other sport, like, you work through high school athletics, then this collegiates, then, you know, you work maybe into the professional leagues, and that takes years and years and years, and that's the same with, with bodybuilding. Like, it takes years, and I have so many people that come to me like, hey, I want to uh, turn pro next year, or you be the coach to, to do it for me, and, like, dude, that's the kind of people that I don't, I don't, I don't like to coach because they, they have – there's a strong arrogance there, and it's hard to – to help teach those people otherwise. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's no different with CrossFit athletes who are like, I want to make it to the games or like to regionals next year. And it's like, this is something that you're going to have to practice for four years, like maybe four years before you can even maybe possibly make it to regionals. You can't just, and that's like people with bodybuilding too, or like lots of women that, you know, they want to compete in figure. They're like, well, it only takes 16 weeks, right? <laughs> like I just, I've never really done this before, um, but I can compete in 16 weeks, right? And it's like, um, you could, but yeah. is, do, you, do you think that you're going to be at that point where you want to step on stage in 16 weeks? Like, And, you know, I think 
so that that unrealistic expectations and this could span into like a whole other, <laughs> other podcast maybe we will do a part two on this um but i think the social media is is to blame for a lot of that because people only view what they want to see let's say as an example on instagram and you get to see the best the best the best as you're swiping through it's like olympia physique 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 and you know shreds and it's like okay this is the normal this is obviously what i can attain all i need to do is get a coach and within six months this can be me and i think i always blame social media and maybe i have a bias towards that but i think it puts a lot of unrealistic expectations and then i think the second part to that would be the accessibility of anabolics nowadays where let's say 15 years 10 years ago we didn't have the accessibility that we have now where I'm constantly surprised on my client intake and with the, the, let's say the recreational athletes that I know where it's, it's, they ask questions of like, Hey, what about this dose of test crop? What about this taking Austrian? What about taking GW? Like, is this going to help me? And I'm just like, dude, you're a weekend warrior. I'm like, you don't need this stuff, but it's like the accessibility is there. And you hear the horror stories about people doing a cycle, not doing PCT or whatever. And it's just like, they couple the, the social media expectations with the accessibility of all these magic, magic supplements, so to speak. And they're like, like, I can attain this within six weeks, six months, right? Where I actually have a blog post I wrote quite a few years ago and it was, it was entitled progress. It's going to take longer than you think. And it, it's pictures of me from 2004 to 2018. So when I get a client who is maybe upset that they haven't made any changes within a couple of weeks. I'm like, here, read this blog, read this. This is 14 years. So, so come back to me in 14 years. And let me know how things go. Um, but uh, I think whether it's, it's physique sport or performance-based sport, I think, yeah, those unrealistic ex expectations are, uh, are always there. I mean, and that sort of segues back into, you know, the question I had asked you, you know, what were some of the biggest mistakes that you've made? And it's really, it's interesting because it seems like you really haven't made any along the way right where you've done things with with a lot of like forethought and and conscious thought and like logical you know logical thought and it's just like you like yeah i might have done shouldn't have done that shouldn't have done that but it's been like no major errors which is interesting because i thought when i when i had that question i thought oh we should get some really good stories out of john here because it's very like yeah i did this sodium load or i did this fat load or i used this crazy dose of something and you're like no the whole time it's just been like just trucking along learning and then like, you know, experiential stuff. So it's good. Yeah. Yeah. I was, uh, I never viewed myself as being, well, I, I never had that social media coming up, I guess, to where you, you have this vision of like, I'm, 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 I'm hot shit. I'm going to be this pro bodybuilder. And it's like, I, I, I've told this before, like I, I went into my first show just hoping not to get last place. Like, <laughs> you know, what a terrible goal. <laughs> but, <laughs> Uh, but I just, I had no clue where I stood at, you know, and, and I had no clue who was going to be showing up. Um, so you, you just go to that level. You're like, oh, wow, I did pretty good. Let me try to move up to the next level. And the same thing, gosh, I hope I don't get last place here. And you do do pretty good. And now you're going to Olympia. Like, man, I would, I would love just to not be <laughs> I, at that point. I was like, no, I'm going to win the damn Olympia. But, um, <laughs> uh, you know, you, you have, you, you eventually get to where you can, you want to set your goals big and, and dream big, but you also want the humility and the realism of what it takes to, to accomplish that as well. And I think I, I was a little too maybe humble, I guess, you know, going in, like I, I was, I was trained like a killer, but, um, I also want, never wanted to, 
set something, set myself up for something so unrealistic that I would have to swallow that failure. Mm -hmm. And maybe that was part of it as well, setting goals. But right. I, I think go, wrap, wrapping that up, like into competing for the first time and coaching athletes, I think that's important teaching aspect when you're first starting with someone is uh, getting a like, good goal setting and setting up something realistic for them. So they have that expectation. So they don't see themselves as failures and also getting to a point where like, why am I not getting results? I thought I was going to be the next pro in a month. It's like, no, we've already set this up beforehand. And if they disagreed with you and they didn't like that, well then they didn't even sign up and you probably shouldn't have coached them to begin with. Right. But it's like, Hey, no, you're not ready to compete. We need to do this, this and that. And it's going to take this, this is time. And if they commit and buy in on that, well, then you have probably that's going to be a really good client, someone that's successful that will have a great experience coaching. But if you're like, hell yeah, I want that money. Let's coach you and prep you for your show, even though you're not ready for it. Um, you're probably going to have someone that's going to have poor retention. That's, that's going to set themselves up for, for an unrealistic goal, be upset at you, upset at themselves, and maybe never compete again. Right. So I think out the gate, setting up you know, and educating people, about what's going to be occurring and what needs to happen. Um, it, it should, should take place. And you, you can't blame some of these people because I've heard coaches that, you know, look at what this person sent me. Like I'm going to be pro and blah, blah. It's like, well, they just, they're just, um, you know, naive. It's not, maybe it's not an arrogance thing. It's just, they're just naive and they're not educated. It's like help that person and educate them. Now, if they're like, dude, you don't know what you're talking about. Well, okay. Then they're just arrogant. <laughs> they don't, they're probably not going to listen to anyone anyway, except the person that wants to take their money. Um, but anyway, yeah. long rant of yes, set yeah. your goals. One of the things I think is so important as a coach is honesty. You have to be honest with your coach, with your clients. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. And I think that's a very, like a very valuable thing. It's like one of the most valuable things of being a coach is not feeding them a whole bunch of fluff. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. Yep. Just trying to, trying to keep them around, make them feel good, but we're not, we're not getting to goals. You know, that's one thing I respect Andrew for. He's like extremely blunt and straightforward and honest. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's truthful. He, up, he upsets a lot of people with his honesty because um, people don't want to always hear honest. They want to hear what makes them feel good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but as for his job is being a coach and making you a good athlete, he's going to be honest with you. And that's a commendable attribute now you, you there's there's a nice way to approach it you know to give someone some honesty and some truth yeah. um you could you could do it blunt and try to talk down to them so that's not the way to do it of course and if someone's trying to talk to you that way if you're a new athlete coming to a coach and they're you know bashing down you like that and trying to make you feel uh you know that's just not the coach for you so well and that's actually um that's funny the whole like I don't know if we want to call it factory coaching or like herd coaching that goes on. Oh. <laughs> like, and why, why is this popular? You know, like there is no way that you are being treated well. There's no way that you, your coaching is individualized. It's like, and I mean, it, it doesn't usually happen with men. It seems to be like, you know, herds of bikini girls that are drawn towards this and yeah team xyz like yes. it's mm -hmm. I, I just it always seems like it's something like that yeah, yeah. Um, it's like the the connection for community or something like that you know like join like i'm joining a team i'm team this like there's like this 
um, click connection that people like, I don't, I don't know, but if that's your first experience, you don't know any different either. And like, Oh, this is how, this is how we were coached. You know, I don't know anything different. Um, so I think just, you know, information like y'all are putting out, hopefully people listen and know and understand like what, what's good coaching, what that should look like. And they don't get sucked into something like that and have a bad experience or, um, you know, harmed in some way from it either. They have a lot of responsibility in coaching like uh, someone for contest prep. Like this is a serious health thing you're putting someone through. Like in no means is it on any level healthy to compete. Um, In my opinion, even naturals, like yeah, natural bodybuilder will tell you like there's a lot of hormone derangements that occur. There's people that never restore their hormone levels, even in the natural um, competitive realm, metabolic issues, uh, so you have a lot of responsibility if you're coaching someone for a contest and, uh, you're, you're putting your, you're taking their health and putting it in your hands. So, you know, it, I wish there was more regulations of what, what you can, what you have to have to be a contest prep coach or online coach, but there's just not, which is very unfortunate, but, um, you have a lot of people out there that have been run through the ringer. I've gotten people that have been run through the ringer and it's, uh, they're this ne- they never, they're never the same. They're not. I have people on like hormone replacement for life, men and women, uh, people that will never have kids uh, because of things that have been done to them, yeah. which is uh, very unfortunate. So it's, you have to take, you have to be your own advocate for your health. You really do. And that's even going to a doctor's nowadays. Like you have to be pretty sharp because yeah. there's people that aren't practicing the best or it's like a herd, you know, uh, even in, in physician settings, like you're just kind of run through the door and they don't really sit down and listen to you and what you're trying to say. And yeah. that's important as any coach is like, you need someone that can really listen to you, communicate back with you. Um, okay. but this, this like herd coaching stuff. Yeah. You're not going to get treated like how you need to, yeah. to be do the best and also just watch your health. Yeah. Well, no. And, and I think in those big, like the, the factory coaching too, there's no screening of people. Right. And so like, if you were to say to someone, if someone like, what would, what would you tell someone that they need to have an order in order to think about competing for the first time? Or like, what are red flags that they're like, no survey says, man, you're, you're like, you should just not compete. <laughs> my, my red flags. Yeah. Um, well, I, I have, I have a few. Um, so top three. My top three. <laughs> Um, first, first is definitely health and, um, I I'll have not to go too far, I guess, into that. I'll have some, um, older competitors or even master's level competitors that, um, their health is just not there to ever compete. And, you know, being a master's competitor, you're not going to be making it probably an income off getting on stage. Right at that level of age, hopefully you've already had a great career and you've done what you need to financially. Right. Um, maybe you have the income and it's not taking away from you to go compete. Well, that's great. If you love to compete, go compete, do what you love, you know, but keep in mind that competing is going to be unhealthy. And at that age, the health ramifications are, are exponential. They're even greater. Um, so I have people that come to me that will have these health issues occurring, whether it be, you know, uh, heart issues or kidney issues or liver. Or, um, and they're already on a bunch of medications and they have grandchildren or something. It's like, listen, you're, you're probably taking time away from your life. Um, for one at the moment away from your family, do something fun in retirement, go 
you know, golf or take the grandkids somewhere. Um, but also you, you're very liable taking life away from the, from you, the end, you know, taking years off your life by doing this at this age. Um, right. this is a, a topic that I, I'm very cautious with, uh, uh and with those clients and, and trying to get them to be realistic in their life approach. So that's one, like the health that stands out. And then, uh, going even a little younger than that, like other people that come to me that have these bad, like hormone disarrangements and we start trying to diet them down. It's like, gosh, this is just a mess. And we have to be realistic. Like genetically, are you even going to be competitive to do this? And if it's like at that point, let's make a decision. Like you don't have to step on stage to have a great physique or do stuff that you love in training. Like a lot, you don't have to do it. And so, you know, those are the ones that kind of really stand out to me is the the big health ones. It's like, I don't want to take you there. I don't want to be responsible for putting detriment in your life and your health. Um, other people I think that, uh, are, are just don't have the lifestyle set up as well. They're just too busy right. and I have people that are like, they're working two jobs. They're going to school. They don't have any money and they're like, I want to prep for a show. It's like, I'm, but I'm sleeping four hours a night. It's like, you just don't have time to do it. Like you shouldn't do it. Yeah. Do something else. You know, that, that's, that would be one. And then also like the, the young, the young person, that wants to get on stage. It's like, this isn't your time yet. Put time into just training, growing. Um, also make sure you're putting time into investing in your education. I see so many people that are like, they in, just in go full in on bodybuilding. That's all they care about. It's like at a, at a young age, like you need to be investing in college and what you're going to be doing to pay. Like if you want to be a good bodybuilder, like get a job that is going to fund bodybuilding because you're, you just probably won't make money in bodybuilding. It's so expensive. Right. Um, so the, the people that are relying on turning pro to make an income is the wrong way to look at it. Like you need to make an income. And then if you want to keep doing bodybuilding as a hobby and you end up turning pro great, but as a young age, like invest in your education and bettering yourself to get a job and you can keep bodybuilding along the way. So I guess those would be my three. Yeah. Those are great. Three ways separated out. Awesome. Yeah. Wow. Well, that flew by. Yeah. We're at like an hour and a half here already. I know you said you had 90 minutes. So, um, I mean, I feel like there's so many other topics we could get into and maybe we'll have to you know, schedule something in the future for bring you back. I really would like to dive down that whole anabolic rabbit hole. Um, I'm down to do it. Like, cool. you know, we we right can on. definitely do it, do another one. And I, I enjoyed the, the question. So Excellent. that's, uh, that's definitely one that probably needs its own, its own I, I time so. to it yeah. to, right? That and talking about actually about training. Because yeah, I think there's so oh, yeah. many misconceptions training and rep ranges and what do I need to do to build mass and what's the best type of training for cutting and like yeah. just all of like all of that too. too. I love the training piece. I'm probably the most passionate about it all, it, which I'm a dietitian, but I love training, like reading research and everything. So um training is what oh yeah we that's like we are you just set up two podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so if people want to get a hold of you, where can they reach you? Yeah. So if you want to follow me, uh, my main content's through Instagram. So at John Jewett three. Um, also if anyone's interested in coaching, they can email me at John at J three sports rd.com. That's also my website, J three sports rd.com. Um, I am an animal sponsored athlete. So I put a lot of content out through animal. Um, all my, my contest prep series is through the animal YouTube channel. So if you go on YouTube, you can get a lot of my, my content through them as well.